This is our third week uh, of looking through a statement that was put out by our, our denomination, which we're a part of here at Spring Creek, called the Church of the Brethren. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Church of the Brethren, brethren.org has a whole bunch of helpful information on it. And uh, if you're looking for more information about this statement that's called the Compelling Vision, you can find a whole bunch more information there on the website. But just by way of review, this statement that we've been looking at is that together as the Church of the Brethren, we will passionately live and share the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus Christ through relationship-based neighborhood engagement. And to move us forward, we will develop a culture of calling and equipping disciples who are innovative, adaptable, and fearless. Part of the reason that we're going over this is because, um, well, one, I think this kind of helps accurately uh, describe what we've been about here at Spring Creek and, and trying to uh, live and share this good news of Jesus in the neighborhood around us. And there's a number of ways that we've been engaging in trying to um, share Jesus' uh, peace and, and prosperity, the, the wholeness, the shalom of God with those around us. Um, the other thing is that we are a part of a, a larger group of folks trying to follow Jesus in this way. And so we want to uh, kind of let you know, report back to you on what we're a part of here at Spring Creek. And so we've looked in the last couple of weeks about passionately living and sharing the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus. We talked uh, last week about relationship-based neighborhood engagement, that we follow in the way of Jesus. And just as Jesus, uh, the, the word became flesh. The word that was with God in the very beginning took on flesh and, and moved into the neighborhood, came and lived among us, walked among us. That God does not just stay off uh, up in some remote heaven, removed far away from us, but God wants to move and be with and abide with his people. And so this morning we are going to be talking about, so uh, as we passionately live and, and share in, in relationship-based neighborhood engagement, and our, our shorthand for that is uh, Jesus in the neighborhood. What's our plan of action? The great words, great statements, but, but what are we doing in order to live that out? The statement calls us to develop a culture of calling and equipping disciples. Uh, so let me start by asking a question. What is a culture? Or what things make up a culture? You think about American culture. Sometimes it's harder to do that uh, when you think about your own culture. But if you think about uh, some culture that you're not familiar with, what are some things that make that culture? Language? History? Food, would you say celebrations, celebrations, set of values and mission. Uh, all cultures have that as a part of who they are. Sometimes stated, um, if you're talking about especially the culture of a business or um, maybe a church, uh, you might have that stated. Um, if it's a broader culture, you probably like 
you think about like American culture, sometimes we have that stated and sometimes we don't. What other things might be a part of our culture? Traditions. Literature. Yes, yeah, so there's all kinds of things that are, what? Music. Music's a part of our culture, right? Well, as we take a look at um, what things are a part of our culture and how we can shape that, um, would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the body gathered here this morning at Spring Creek. I pray that you would be moving in our hearts, moving in our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So next question. You've defined what are some things that are a part of culture very broadly and generally. What are some things, especially those of you that maybe have been a part of Spring Creek for a long time, um, what are some of the elements of Spring Creek culture? Love feast, so the, the actual washing of, of feet and gathering with a meal and and there's all kinds of things that are a part of that culture and uh, of love feast, right? We kind of say, well, it's about washing feet, but let's be honest. What else is a part of that experience? Soup. Everything, a whole bunch of soup. It's all about the uh, No, it's not all about the soup, but the soup is definitely a part of our tradition. Bread and cup. Serving. Fellowship and feet washing. This is always fun um, to try and step out of your culture and name some of these things. Um, I remember when I came to Spring Creek, one of the questions I asked the search committee was, um, what are your, um, I think I said, what are your sacred cows? You know, what, what are those things that are around that, you know, uh, you better not touch? It's so hard to name those, though. When you're in it, it's so hard to name those. So let me name a few of them. We, are, we tend to have a lot of acronyms. First of all, we always abbreviate Church of the Brethren as COB. So we always, you know, it's Spring Creek COB. It sounds like. Uh, Spring Creek on the Cobb or something like that, um, which is the Church of the Brethren. Originally, they were called the German Baptist Brethren, which defined our country of origin and something of our theology. Uh, we changed that and call now call each other more brethren, uh, which notes our emphasis on family relationships as the, the family of Christ. Um, another uh, brethren phrase, another phrase that sometimes we use here at Spring Creek is that we are not all of one mind. What does that mean? It means we disagree. It's a, it's a very, uh, it, there, there's a lot of good theology behind this, but usually if we say we're not all of one mind, uh, if you're new to Spring Creek, that's a catchphrase for we disagree. 
Um, we have a specific Spring Creek language. For instance, many of you, if I said something is in room 100, you would know it's right back in this room over here. The funny thing is, is that for a long time, there was no number on that room. When I came, people would say room 100. And I said, how do you know that's room 100? Oh, well, we all know it's room 100. I said, it doesn't say room 100 on the door. How do we know? So if I'm, a, if I'm new, to the, new to the community, how do I know that's the room 100? We also have a room called the parlor. Now, we do have the names on these doors now, uh, but there's the parlor. Uh, we experience this with the young adults. They've been meeting in the parlor. And, and some of our new young adults on Sunday morning said, I have no idea where the parlor is at. Uh, so sometimes we use language um, that we insiders know, and we expect people to kind of catch on real quick. Um, you named some of our uh, practices and traditions with, with Love Feast, uh, which is a pretty unique to our tradition. It involves enacting Jesus' words to his disciples to do one another, to wash their feet as Jesus had done for them. And we named some of the traditions around that with the beef and broth soup. Um, we have a traditional Christian greeting following washing feet and hands. It's been modified over the years. Uh, that Christian greeting used to mean the holy kiss. Now it means we kind of give each other a hug and um, say God bless you or something along those lines. Uh, we have communion bread. There's how many holes are in the communion bread? We rows of five. Yes, we poke ro rows of five for the five wounds of Christ. And and some of us grew up breaking that bread into five smaller pieces. Uh, to uh, remember those wounds of Christ. Um, maybe some other specific Spring Creek culture things. Think about art or music. Is there special art or music that's a part of our culture here at Spring Creek? We, o we only have one piece of art that I think of when it comes to Spring Creek. The stained glass window, right? It's a, it's a picture of, of Jesus in, in the garden. It's interesting. Um, I've been at really a part of four brethren churches in my life, and I think three out of the four had some variation of that picture up at the front. And so it's a very kind of, I, I don't know if there's anything brethren about it, but that seems to be the picture that a lot of brethren pick uh, to be at the front of their uh, sanctuary. Any songs? I was trying to think of their songs. What songs? Move in our midst. Did you you read the bulletin, didn't you? Oh, okay, that's the song. Yeah, yeah. Any other songs that come to mind uh, when you think broadly of not just maybe your favorite song, but is there a song we sing a lot? Blessed be the tie that binds. And what was the other one? Let me be your servant. I, and again, these are all really expressing um, some of the core theology, some of the core values uh, of Spring Creek, of service, of community, of being together in Jesus. Um, yeah, so good. You've, you're kind of getting a grasp of this culture thing. 
Sometimes we are intentional about the ways our culture is formed, and sometimes our culture is formed in very unintentional ways. They're just practices that kind of become a thing after a while. I would say, uh, you know, for a long time, this our soup, we all, everyone said, the soup, that's kind of an un, unintentional tradition. I don't know that anyone ever got together and said, this is biblical, beef and broth with rice in it. There, I, I always got to tread carefully on this. There's actually nothing in scripture about that. You all know that, right? I'm not against the tradition. It is a beautiful tradition. I love the soup. I took it. I would take it to college, and um, or, or my mom would send it to me after that church had had their love feast, and the soup was very similar. And I'd warm it up, and it smelled so good. And my roommate would go, "What are you eating?" He would see it, and, and it, you know, it doesn't look the greatest. Um, I was like, "This is delicious." Um, yeah. So sometimes we're unintentional about the ways our culture is transformed or, or formed. Part of the, the statement that goes with this is that we are called to reorient the entire nature and being or our culture of our church around a missional, that is, outwardly focused mindset. This is what we are being called to do, to reorient our entire nature and being around a missional mindset. If we are reorienting our nature towards an outwardly focused mindset, what is the implication of how our orientation has been? Selfishness. Chet's going right for it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. But, it, but the, the implication is that it's been kind of inwardly focused if we're going to now reorient towards an outwardly focus. The implication is that our nature has been largely formed by this inward-focused mindset. And historically speaking of the brethren, that is accurate. Brethren historically formed closed-off communities, in part due to persecution. When they were over in, in Europe, they were experiencing lots of persecution, and so they tended to be form these uh, isolated communities. Um, sometimes that's been done. We've kind of isolated ourselves because of a, a perceived um, um, attack or, or evilness of the world around us, and so we've been very isolated uh, by our to ourselves. Our focus has largely been on personal or maybe communal holiness, but maybe our focus on private holiness has not really, really led to deeper disciples or deeper engagement with Christ and the kingdom of God, but sometimes it has led to a surface level of perceived holiness. In other words, we want people to think that we're a good person, but the hard work of actually being transformed might not always happen. And the call to go and make disciples of all nations, that kind of just becomes raising our children to be followers of Jesus, which is absolutely a part of what we're called to do, but there's no outward focus. So towards the end of reorient, reorienting ourselves, we are called 
to realign our language, our norms, our beliefs, our symbols, our values, and our priorities around an external focus to reach persons for Jesus Christ and his other way of living. So we're supposed to turn our eyes and to look to those around us to see the need around us, to put our ear to the ground and hear the cries of those around us. There's uh, an Australian missiologist, somebody who, who looks at how we reach out into the community uh, named Michael Frost. And he shares uh, the, the following thought. He says that four things really make up a church and our culture. And these four things are worship, Formation, or what we might call discipleship. Community is number three. And then mission. These are all good and all necessary things of what it means to be a church. And ideally, in an ideal world, each of these would be equally motivating. We would, we would be motivated to grow in these four ways. But Frost suggests that for a long time, worship has become the motivating component. And he, says, he kind of talks about this in, in a couple of ways. He says Sunday morning became the primary focus of the church when worship happened. And the primary formation or discipleship came in the form of teaching of a sermon or, uh, you know, in the old church, catechism or Sunday school. And so we came on Sunday morning. This was our primary time of worship, our primary time of formation. Sunday became the embodiment of the community of faith. The community gathered together on Sunday morning. Mission occurred as people brought folks to hear a message and to hear the formation. And so we brought people so they could hear the incredible sermon that the preacher would give every morning and um, be formed, be transformed. Now, maybe this worked for a time, but often what has happened is that folks substitute attending a worship service for real discipleship. Or folks attend on a Sunday morning for an hour, and then they return to their lives unchanged. We do not engage in the real mission of God, but we expect professional clergy to do the evangelizing or paid staff of nonprofits to do the missions. Say, so does your church support missions? Yes, we take an offering. And we have other people go do it for us. Does your church engage in service? Yes, we give offerings. We collect, make some collections, and that goes to serve. Those are not bad things. But those are not the only ways that you and I are called to engage in missions, to engage in loving and serving our neighbors. In our own brethren tradition and history, perhaps community at times has been the moting, motivating factor, seeking a, a community of people who are following Jesus together, seeking a holiness of a called out people. Discipleship becomes primarily about raising a family and having them continue on in the community. And worship occurs. And sometimes mission or service has taken a back seat 
Now, which is an interesting thing because we tend to say we're a very service-oriented church, but sometimes it's just about, it's just about um, physical needs, which are certainly important. And it's certainly a way that we can engage a- and begin to uh, allow people to see the, the good news of Jesus. But maybe there's more to it as well. Michael Frost suggests that mission might serve as a better driving force in our current context. In the current culture in which we live, perhaps it's time to let mission be the thing that motivates us. If our primary objective is to passionately live and share the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus through neighborhood-based engagement, that's our mission, how might that impact our community, our formation, and our worship? If we decide to engage the neighborhood, and if we decide to seek the peace and the prosperity of the place we live, we're probably going to need one another, you and I in community. If you talk with those who have gone on disaster relief trips, or if you came and listened to our our youth share about their Faith X week uh, back in the summer, you'll find that those that have shared a common mission who have been together working for a common goal, common practice, suddenly also experience this closer-knit sense of community. They've worked together. They've shared mission together. They've lived together. They've been in close proximity together for the cause, for a common goal, for a common mission. And suddenly, community is also amplified. Community isn't just about sharing a covered dish with one another. It is about shared values, shared mission together. And so maybe if we allow mission to be a motivating force, we might also realize a deeper sense of community as we share in that mission together. If we decide to live and share the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus, we are also probably going to need to study and dig deep into the life and teachings of Jesus. We're probably going to need to think and talk and pray about what it means for our own lives to be radically formed around Jesus. And this is the discipleship that we're talking about. As we interact with folks around us who are not yet followers of Jesus, and as we bump into their questions of faith, maybe we'd be driven to Scripture to see how Jesus lived. We look for other people in Scripture who dealt with similar questions. When we are seeking the peace and the prosperity of the place we live, when we're seeking the the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus in our neighborhood, we're also, I think, going to be driven back to Scripture to see how Jesus taught us to live. And as people ask questions about our faith, People ask questions about who Jesus is. What is this radical transformation? How do I partner with what God is doing in the world? We should be driven back to Jesus and to Scripture.
our formation, if we truly want to seek the transformation and peace of our neighborhood, needs to be based in the person of Jesus Christ that we read about in the Bible and not our preferred news media outlet. And if we decide to live and share the radical transformation and peace of Jesus with our neighbors, chances are that there's going to be a lot of things to praise God for. Chances are that our hearts will be broken for the things that break God's heart as we serve our neighbors. And we'll have some lamenting to do. Chances are that entering into the brokenness of others, we may cry out to God for justice for those whom we are in relationship with. And that's real worship. It's not a superficial worship that sings all the the fun, good songs that make us feel good. But when we're engaging in the world around us, when we're when we're living life with our neighbors and we're we're seeing Good things happen. We're seeing lives transformed when we're living life with them and we're hearing the the wounds and we're, we're hearing their laments. Maybe we come before God and we bring those laments before God. And that's real worship. To come together, to cry out before God together, to praise God together. That's real worship. And so a missional or an outward-focused life means a calling and equipping of disciples. One of the things that we believe here is in a priesthood of believers. It's out of 1 Peter 2, verse 9, which means we are called into serving God and serving people, serving one another. This means the mission of God is not just reserved for the pastor or for the director of youth or for the children's director, or for any paid staff or any official position in the church, but all of us are called to participate in God's mission. We actually have a history of calling people from within the congregation for service. When I was um, starting to hear God calling me to what we call set-apart ministry, pastoral ministry. It wasn't just my decision to make. But I enlisted uh, the help and the prayers of some trusted uh, friends, those who were more mature in the faith, those who, who knew me and knew my gifts. And I asked them, can you pray for this? Can you discern this? Is this where God is calling me? And I need to hear your voice along with this. It happened through the discernment with the church. In Ephesians, our passage from Ephesians that uh, KC read for us this morning, Paul references a number of ways that folks might be gifted for the building up of the church. And he lists uh, one, two, three, four, five, five gifts. He calls some out as apostles. And I think of apostles as those who pioneer new ways of reaching out. The apostles were taking on uh, something new. They were living out and announcing the kingdom of God. 
that it had been inaugurated in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and now they were living out the results of that. And they were doing it in new ways. They were seeking out new ways to, to go and proclaim the good news. Paul, as an apostle, is going not just to uh, the Jewish communities around him, but he's also then taking that message the good news of Jesus to Gentile communities, taking it out in new ways. And so apostles are pioneers who reach out in new ways. We also have prophets. And prophets aren't, sometimes we just think of them as future telling, but they're really truth telling. They're the truth tellers who remind the church of God's truth and call us out when that's needed. We're also called uh, to, to call out and to equip evangelists, those who are particularly gifted in announcing the reign of God in a given situation or context. All of us are called to bear witness. All of us are called to announce uh, the good news of Jesus. But some folks are just especially gifted. And I think of those that are especially gifted are ones that put their ear to the ground and they can hear the unique ways in which uh, a relationship is calling them to announce the good news. On one hand, the gospel, the life, the death in the place of sinners, the resurrection of Jesus and his making all things new. There is one gospel. But on the other hand, the gospel connects with people or it is introduced and felt in different ways. So for the poor. The beginning of good news may mean realizing that in the kingdom of God, there is enough. For those impacted by mental health, the beginning of good news may look like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. To those who have been disenfranchised for different reasons, good news may be announced through the realization that God sees and God hears the vulnerable. And that our God is a God of justice. So I think evangelists are keenly aware of those things. Shepherds or pastors are those folks particularly gifted in caring for the emotional and spiritual well-being of folks. And sometimes they're given a position. Sometimes we think pastor. Well, oh yeah, that's the, that's the paid person that leads our church. But pastoral gifts, shepherding gifts are those folks that, that hear um, the, the wounds, hear the, the needs, the, the, the spiritual and emotional needs of those around them. So some of our deacons are some of uh, the very gifted people in our congregation who hear those needs and reach out and, and, and comfort those that are going through hard times. I think these are some of our uh, gifted shepherding, pastoring type people. And we also have teachers, those who are particularly gifted in explaining and helping to form others around the story of Jesus. A culture that calls and equips needs to be so invested in one another's lives that we are actually seeing each other's giftedness. This is what happens in community. And so you and I are called to live in relationship with one another, that we can actually see each other's gifts, and we can call those out. We can say, you know what? You are great, a, a, a great encourager. 
You, you are uh, an innovative person who, who sees new ways of, of living out the, the good news of Jesus. And, and so we need to call you forward. We need to, to enlist your help in, in pioneering and in, in leading us in new directions. But that means that we have to be in relationship with one another. We name those gifts. We invite the participation of those gifts. And we empower and give permission for the living out of those gifts. And we're going to talk more about that next week, how we uh, call out and how we empower and give permission. Not everyone is gifted in sitting on a committee or gifted in administration of church as usual. Some of us, Some of you are gifted in visioning new ways to reach out to our neighbors. So what does it mean for the rest of us to empower and give permission for you to live out your calling, live out your gifts in those ways? A culture that calls and equips needs to be investing themselves in a deep soaking of scripture and the life and teachings of Jesus. This is the formation we're called to as we reorient our culture towards an outward focused movement. A culture that calls and equips and seeks the radical transformation and holistic peace of Jesus is going to have a lot of worshiping, praising God, confession, lament, singing, and praying to do. So we'll need to worship together. So may we orient or reorient our own lives and the life of our Spring Creek body around partnering in the mission of God, seeking the transformation and holistic peace of our neighbors and our neighborhood. May we call out those in our midst that God has gifted and may those who are called out respond to the invitation to partner in mission. May we take seriously our equipping of those who are called to be formed in the way of Jesus. This is how we reorient our culture towards an outward focused movement. The church is in a different place today than it was 50 years ago. And we've talked about this a number of times. Folks around us in our neighborhood that we go to school with, co-workers. We live in a hurting and, and broken place. Folks longing to be transformed, to experience something different, to experience a wholeness. We need to have our ears to the ground. We need to have our eyes open to the things happening around us. We need to be called and equipped to partner with what God is doing all around us. Amen? Amen. Go out from here and live lives worthy of the one calling which we all share in humility, gentleness, and patience. Speak only what is true 
and loving, and so grow into the unity that is ours in Christ. And may God, the Creator, reshape your hearts. May Christ Jesus, the bread of life, sustain you always. And may the Holy Spirit unite you in the bond of peace. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord in the name of Christ. Amen.